The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge of you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Begone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The Gospel of the Lord. I read through several of the um, patristic or the church fathers' commentaries on uh, this scene. It's really interesting to go back and see how the church fathers have looked at uh, at the scriptures. You might not be surprised that I do that. Again, I know I do that often with going back to the church fathers and their insights. But I find that especially for meditation upon the Word, if we're trying to kind of break into the Word with our own personal meditation, Going back to the church fathers can be very helpful because we see the, uh, the belief and the faith that they have in the power of the word and the delicacy with which they, they treat the word. And so they are, they are humble servants of the scriptures and they teach us a good disposition when we approach the scriptures. And so their insights and then leading up to as well, St. Thomas Aquinas, um, I just found some kind of quite profound insights from them which I'll, I'll do my best to remember and, and give to you today. Um, But the first and foremost is as the church then links uh, the temptation of Christ to the temptation of Adam and Eve. And so one of the church fathers says that where the old Adam failed, the new Adam now takes up the fight. So Christ is coming to undo what was done uh, through Adam and Eve and the fall, and Christ is coming to fight against temptation, to merit for us grace, to resist temptation, and to also be an example for us um, and a teaching for us with regards to how we ourselves can also resist temptation. And so what happens, it says Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. And this follows immediately after his baptism. And so St. Thomas and a lot of the church fathers ask the question, they say, why does the Lord often allow difficulty following the reception of a grace? And I think I might have said this before. 
But he says, why does the Lord allow uh, that after something beautiful happens, so sometimes even after someone has had a conversion, they fall into a time of testing and trial? And so St. Thomas says that the Lord allows this temptation for five reasons uh, he gives. And he says, first, he says, it's so that we might know truly where we stand and who we are. And so sometimes we might be living under a particular type of illusion. And so what he says is that we might think that we have particular virtues, but it's only because we haven't had to actually live them out that we realize that we actually don't have the virtues we thought we have. So we might think we're very charitable, but then as soon as testing arrives, all of a sudden we realize, oh, I don't actually have the, vir the virtue that I thought I had. Or the opposite, we might think that we are past a particular type of vice or, or sin or fault in our life, um, but we just don't actually have the opportunity to live it out. And so when temptations and trials come, we might find not only are we short in the virtues that we thought we have, but maybe there are vices that also haven't yet been eradicated from our soul. And so temptation offers a type of clarification for us. This is where we stand. This is what needs worked on. And so temptation is a gift in a certain sense uh, in that way. And so that's the first thing St. Thomas says. It says that he kind of clears up our interior perspective of our own selves. And then he says it also diminishes pride. So that's the second thing that it does. It helps us to combat pride when we are tempted because we might stumble, fall, we realize our weakness. And so in that struggle, uh, pride is depleted in the soul. And so that's also a good thing. So the Lord also permits uh, the trial and the difficulty of temptation uh, to purify us of pride. And then he says, uh, in his third reason, he says, it's also to confound the devil, in that when the Lord allows us to be tested, is that creatures who are weak, when the devil perceives that they act and respond with strength, it confounds him. And so where he sees only weakness, the strength of God is able to work through us in these times of temptation and confound the devil. And then he says, uh, in his fourth reason for why the Lord might permit temptation in our life, he says, is for the same reason that soldiers train before they go to war. He says it increases their strength, their capacity, their art, if you will, for war. And so also when we suffer under temptation and trial, it increases our strength. It increases our capacity to resist temptation. The more that we overcome temptation with God's grace, the stronger that we become against those things by His grace. And so the Lord also permits it that we might increase in strength. And lastly, He has one which I thought was initially kind of strange, but it's, it, is, it does seem to be true. He says, and fifthly, He says, it's that we might know our dignity. He says, because the devil only wages war against the things that God loves. And if his particular focus is on our fall, it shows the dignity actually that we have in a way with regards to God and his love for us. If the devil puts all of his attention on our fall, it shows that we are of high value and we are of a high dignity with regards to God. And so that's why often temptations are permitted in our life for all of these beautiful ways in which the, God, which the Lord will allow these temptations if we face them with his grace in order to help purify us, perfect us, strengthen us. And so Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And that's first and foremost. This all begins with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is led by the Spirit, as St. Thomas says, not as a servant to a master, but as equals. He is compelled by the Spirit, meaning simply he is moved by love. The Spirit is the love of God. 
And so it is love that drives this whole thing. And as St. Paul says later as well, it's like the Spirit of God or the love of God compels us. That's what we are called to, to do and to act in the same way as well, is to become docile to the Holy Spirit, to be led by the love of God, to be moved and animated by God's love, even if that leads us at times into difficulties, into trials, into suffering. The love of God will sustain us. And he leads him into the wilderness to be tempted. The wilderness is the right place for temptation. When all things have quieted down, when everything is desolate, that's often when we are kind of like in those moments of quiet, in those moments of isolation, if you will. Those can be particularly vulnerable moments to temptation. But with the Holy Spirit with us, that is also where we find our strength. And it says he fasted 40 days and 40 nights and afterwards he was hungry. I read one commentator says, this seems to be the most obvious line from scripture. He's fasted 40 days and 40 nights and now he's hungry. And now the tempter comes to him. And this shows us something about temptation as well. It waits for an opportunity of particular weakness, right? And so it only, he only comes after the Lord is hungry, right at the end, when strength is got depleted, when hunger is there, when there is suffering, when there is trial. And so also in our life, at moments of kind of uh, that either deeper suffering or deeper weakness, that's where we have to be even more alert against temptation, to be more a, a reliant upon not our own strength, but the strength of God. And that is what the Lord is showing, that as his human strength is depleted, his spiritual strength is what he is relying on. He is relying on his divinity. He is relying on the Holy Spirit. He's relying on his own strength as God, not as his weakness of, as man. And so also, as our own weakness is manifest to us, that shouldn't cause us any trouble. Our strength is not in ourselves. Our strength is in God. And then the devil comes with these temptations, and he says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And now you see the subtlety of the devil. is because there are two temptations here. The one is more obvious. It's the temptation to satiate the hunger that Christ has. But the second is because he wants to know who this is. Who is this person? If you are the Son of God. So that's what he actually wants to know. And so he, what he does, as what St. Thomas says, is that he has an initial temptation, but he has this more oblique temptation as well in terms of what he desires to have knowledge of. And so he's trying to discover who is this person. He might suspect because of what he has seen in Christ and what he has just witnessed as well, maybe at the baptism. What is this person? Who is this person that is now out here in the desert and so, again, with such intensity, fasting and praying? But the Lord responds as he is also instructing us. He begins every single one of his resistance towards temptation with a reference to Scripture. And so one of the church fathers says is that in temptation... Let your first recourse be to the medicine of the word, the scriptures. They are our power and strength against temptation. In original sin, the sin began when Eve began to doubt the word of God, and that was what the devil had to sow in her heart first. If he could sow in her heart doubt with regards to God's word, then sin would easily follow after that. And so the devil begins the temptation. Did God really say... That's it. And as soon as that is allowed to take root in her soul, 
all of a sudden now she doubts God's word. So in the remedy that Christ provides, he begins, it is written, it is written. And so our recourse in times of temptation in our daily life is to turn back towards the scriptures, to read what is written, and to believe it, to have faith in the word. And then he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Not only is it a defense, but it is also life-giving. It is able to give life and strength to the soul when we turn our hearts and minds to the word. So then the devil, still not knowing who this person is, because Christ also doesn't answer him, he doesn't give the devil understanding, because he has not come to convert the devil. He has come for our sake. The Lord will give clarity in his teaching when he has souls who are open to receive it. But the devil is not. The devil doesn't want to know who Christ is, that he might worship him. He simply wants to have the knowledge without any love. So the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, again, if you are the Son of God, trying to discover who this is, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels charge of you, and on their hands they will bear you up. What he is trying to do now as well is tempt Christ into manifesting himself to the people. He takes him to the very pinnacle of the temple, and you can imagine all of the people gathered around the bottom, and he says, right, throw yourself off. Have this marvelous display of power, and everyone will love you. But this is not the way in which Christ desires to manifest himself. He will not come down again from above in all of this majesty and glory and overwhelm his people. He's going to come from below with love, with humility, with service, with healing, with teaching. That's how he will convert hearts. He has a particular mission given him by the Father, and he will not deviate from that in order to try and achieve it quickly. And so the Lord says to him, it is written. A recourse again to the word, the stability of the scripture in our lives. You shall not tempt the Lord your God, still not giving the answer that the devil wants. But the devil at this point, one of the church fathers says, and I think St. Thomas says it as well, suspects that he's dealing with a superior being at this moment. So the devil takes him to a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms, and now his temptation becomes more obvious, what he actually desires, which is worship for himself and adoration for himself. And so the temptation is to blasphemy. That's what he now brings Christ to. And he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory of them, and he says, I will give all of these to you if you will fall down and worship me. And when it comes to adoration, this is where the Lord draws the line. He permits the temptations to a certain point, but when it gets to that point, it's finished. And so Jesus said, Be gone, Satan. Dispels the evil. And then he says, For it is written. Again, the stability in the scriptures and in the word. When it comes to adoration, there is only one deserving of adoration, and that is God himself. And the Lord says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, obedient to this now superior being that he has come to in contact with. He realizes his defeat. He, is, he flees, if you will, from this, uh, the beauty that is Christ himself, the wisdom and the truth and the love and the grace. 
But what the Lord shows us, if we were just to kind of round this off at the end, if we're to take two things from this in terms of what helps us most especially with regards to temptation and to difficulty in our life, one is the recourse to the Word and the Scriptures, but the other is right adoration. The other is directing our worship towards the one who is deserving of it. And so especially here in this place, this is where it is fulfilled. We come here in the Mass, we read the words, and we adore the one who makes himself present. But even after the Mass, the adoration of Christ continues here. And this is also then makes it a powerful place for the resistance of temptation and evil that we can come into the presence of the one who dispelled the devil in the desert, and we can kneel in his presence in right adoration and ask him to dispel the same evils from our life, the same difficulties, the same temptations. And the one who has done this all for the sake of love continues in that love for us. And so when we come here, in a certain sense, into the desert with Christ, and are present to him here where he is present to us, and we respond to him with adoration and a love for his word, then we set ourselves up on a right trajectory towards sanctity, towards unity with him, and towards eventually, hopefully, eternity with the Father. Amen.